Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new Black Magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic, and we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music. Hey, welcome to the 136th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode was brought to you by patron Josh Hansborough. Thanks, Josh. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Warren Kaplan, and today we have Hanalee Culpepper on. She is a TV director, and she has directed so much TV. She's done Empire, 90210. She just did an episode of Star Trek. Name a TV show. She probably has directed it. Yeah, a network drama. She's done Castle, Criminal Minds, just all of them. She looks pretty young. Yeah. She's an alumni of DWW, the NBC program, a handful of others. And she tells us all about how she kind of climbed the ranks and became like a go-to network TV director. Yeah. And we also just get into the nuts and bolts of like how you frame, you know, close-ups on a TV show and like how much control you get as a director. And I don't know, we had, it was very much two parts, two types of conversation we had, which is how to shoot TV and how to get into TV. And I found them both quite fascinating. Riveting. So we're not going to do a full catch up today, but I'm going to give you a quick summary because Matt and I have been rather busy the last few weeks, which is maybe why we haven't been so great at returning people's emails. Apologies, everyone. So Oren, tell me, what have you been working on lately? Well, I did my spots at Disney World, which I talked about, and I just saw the edits recently. And I'm, you know, it's weird because you just don't have any control of the edits. I think they're decent. I think they have some room to go. We'll see how much they care about my opinion <laughs> when I email them back. Um, but today I shot uh, three commercials with Angela Kinsey from The Office. And it was really fun. Um, and I have an unpaid endorsement at the very end from something that I learned from the shoot. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. It's exciting. And you have been... I have been jet-setting. I shot a voting campaign video for vote.org with uh, recent president Barack Obama. Oh yeah, I forgot he was president. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, cool, and you're also shooting a Toyota spot? I'm shooting Toyota spots, Friday? Three, three Toyota spots on Friday, and then flying to Cincinnati the day after. To do to the do, gambling uh, addiction no, spots. Yeah, exactly. Dude, have a very busy week. Yeah. I'm very uh, jealous. Feast At least I have rain. a podcast episode 
Sans Matt Enloe. <laughs> yeah, under my belt. Yeah, did you guys talk about uh, why I was gone? Uh, I don't think so. I kind of forgot that you existed while we were recording it, actually. Liz sure. Manishel was just... You know, it's funny. It's a breath of fresh air. I did too. I was, I just like blacked out for about an hour and a half and I woke up and I was like, where was I? And, um, and you had all of Liz's memories. Yeah. Yeah. It was very strange. Yeah. 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 No, we missed you. Freaky Friday. Uh, we missed you for sure. I don't, I don't remember if we spoke exactly. I mean, we, I mentioned that you Mm -hmm. were out of town on a job. So, I mean, you seemed cool. Seemed really cool. It's fun to say, I'll tell you that much. Um, but yeah, I'll, after um, after the episode is out and we have a little bit more time and I've slept a tiny bit more, we'll dig in and talk about it. Because I think there are interesting things about shooting with politicians, which is a thing that I haven't done a ton of. And also just shooting with famous people is interesting. Like when their time is so regimented and um, you're going to them and there's clearance issues and all that stuff. I can't go too deep into everything just because of uh, NDAs and stuff like that, but... I will divulge some deep secrets. Just kidding. That's 100% a joke. No secrets. I didn't even learn any. (laughs) Cool. Yeah, I've sat with politicians before, like in their office, senators and such. And it is interesting because they're pretty good at being on camera, (laughs) at doing like interviews. Oh my God. Yeah. They're the best at it. Um, Yeah, they're like actors pretty much, which is weird. Um, And then celebrities, obviously, you know, are celebrities. It's funny, today on the set, Angela Kinsey was just giving her email address to someone that took a photo of her and like everyone could hear it. And I was like, yeah, I guess you're not too sensitive about your email address. <laughs> she seems pretty down to earth. Yeah, yeah, no, but still like on TV, I remember I did this thing with Olivia Munn years ago and she was on this show, Attack of the Show mm-hmm. on uh, G4 TV. Sure, that's the reason everyone knows Olivia Munn. Yeah, at least back then. and uh, <laughs> That's true for back then, actually. And she had told her email address on the show, and she basically said she got like t- tens of thousands of emails. She had to change her email address. Yeah. Um, so I can tell you guys her new email address if you want. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Okay, before we get in with Hanali, I just want to remind people that we have a Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash pod. We have some great new patrons recently. We are... A little behind on our newsletter, but we're going to catch up on that very soon. And we are planning another live event for December. We are in the mix on planning our live event for December. It's our end of the year party and uh, it's going to be super fun. And patrons will get something special like an amazing job. Hey, you know what, patrons? Drop us a line if you have an idea for uh, a perk that you'd like or just help us out. Um, It goes a long way towards supporting the show, especially our editors, Chris and Jay. Yeah, it just helps the community grow a little bit more. Yep. Okay, so without further ado, Hanali Culpepper. You're here. Hi. We made it. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us and talking to us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, You have the craziest resume. Give us your greatest hits because your your resume is probably like a yard tall. It's like so much stuff. Tell us a little bit about like what are your... What are your top five favorite shows that you've worked on? Well, whenever I'm asked my favorite shows, I, I hate that question. Sure, it's, fair it's enough. It's like choosing your top 
top five. We'll children. do your least favorite shows, and then we'll deduce. Which uh, ones you like. <laughs> or, or even maybe would, maybe the five most famous or um, worth mentioning. Maybe I don't know. What do you think? Oh gosh, there are I, a lot of famous ones. <laughs> I, I, I guess I'll talk about the five. How about the first five that pop into my head? Sure, I love yeah. it. Okay. Perfect. All right, so Star Trek because I just wrapped that literally Saturday morning at three fifty-five a.m. So so Discovery then is that right? Yes, great. Okay. Yes, just for the. Nerds out there, you yes. know what I mean? Yeah, and that's the there hasn't been a season for a while, right? Like, what was well, the well? I think it uh, premiered in last year. Mm-hmm. In gosh, I don't remember when it premiered, but it hasn't been that long. It did very well, so CBS like. Oh, so this is the second season. This is the second season. Oh, cool! Yeah, yeah it like saved CBS All Access. Saved is I mean, maybe too yeah, strong. Yeah, because CBS All Access was pretty new still, but it did like very it. well. And mm-hmm. they realized that that Star Trek drives subscribers. Sure. And when Star Trek wasn't on, then people would drop the service. It, yes, is that, it did well for CBS All Access. It's like the Game of Thrones of CBS All Access. Yes. Um, yes. So that's, yeah, that's one. And then the Mayans is another one I shot this year. I did episode four. It just aired like three weeks ago or something. And that's a spinoff of... Sons of Anarchy. Oh, right. Yeah, that one was a lot of fun. That is FX, yes. And Counterpart, which I shot this summer. I think that was part of the reason we had such a hard time trying to schedule this, Mm -hmm. which was also a lot of fun. And I shot that in Berlin. Simmons, Yes. And I shot, we cross-board that one. So I shot two episodes of that. Oh, cool. Um, the and next, can, you, mm-hmm. can you just tell us what crossboard means for our sure. listeners? Sure. So sometimes, um, and it's happening more and more, shows will give a director two episodes and you basically prep and shoot them at the same time. So it's kind of like a feature. Mm-hmm. And um, for some people, it can be confusing because you really have to keep, you have to just take good notes on where your character is within the script, but also, you know, within within that script, which may, you know... If you're lucky, it's all continuous, and so it almost becomes like just a big feature, just you know, mm-hmm. 120 pages or 100 pages instead of two scripts. But there are like with counterpart, you really had to keep track of it because um, he plays know, two characters. He right? plays two characters. Um, everybody basically, mm-hmm. there's two versions of themselves, unless one version died in season one. Because um, basically, the world duplicated itself in 1987 or 89. And so there's someone who has the exact same memories as you up until that year. And what is interesting and cool about it is it explores how the various little things basically can make two people go in two very different directions. And so you have J.K., who is an assassin, and J.K., who's the mild-mannered, devoted husband. Mm -hmm. And how much of the devoted husband, mild-mannered guy is in the assassin and how much of the assassin is in, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, what are the few things that happen in our lives that can make us become one person or the other. So you have to really keep track of yeah, that's a complicated, what those two characters, are, yeah. what he's doing within the episode. But then the further complicated, especially with this season, as one is becoming more like the other version, to keep that straight as well. Yeah, so that's cross-boarding. <laughs> Wait, and so how much of that sits on your shoulders versus like his shoulders, the actor's shoulders? Well, I feel like... it. There's a lot that sits on both of our shoulders. And J.K. really um, um, was um, tried to be adamant as much as production would allow for certain physical uh, traits that were happening with his characters. And I can't mm-hmm. tell too much because I've given away the story. 
Um, so that's there, but also it's also very much on my head to keep it mm-hmm. all straight because not only is he dealing with my two episodes that I was cross-boarding, but the way the production schedule went, the two or three directors are all shooting at the same time. Oh, wow. So, so you're tag teaming. I have out. two. Wow. The other director has two. Um, one director, you know, had one, mm-hmm. and he's doing potentially a scene from any of this in a day. Mm-hmm. So we have to really keep it straight Oh to wow! Help them out. So it's not just two episodes are cross-boarded; it's like five episodes are cross-boarded. Yeah, the way the production schedule lays out because they shoot Berlin and Los Angeles. <laughs> oh right. So they shot the first five Berlin part, and then mm-hmm. they shot the first five LA part, and then brought in us to do our LA part, and then we went to Berlin and did our Berlin part. So did you ever find yourself like sharing, like splitting a day with someone? Oh else? yeah! Wow! Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's and wild. so just, again, even just to go into a little more detail and cross-boarding. So that's when, you know, you have scenes from five different episodes in the same location and you shoot them all at the same time. Right. right? And I think that that is a little bit unique to Counterpart because of the Berlin and the Los Angeles mm-hmm. aspect and also with just the logistics of shooting in Berlin. Because I've cross-boarded other shows and it was just my two that are right. shooting you know, right. at, at one time. Yeah, it's not yeah. quite as hectic as... Yeah. So wait, so how... I'm curious now, so for those two episodes of television, how long were you in Berlin for? I was... I went there, I think, June 30th, and I came home, I think it was like August oh, wow. 14th. Wow, so like a month that. and a half. Wow. I was there a while, and actually And you still I was, had more show to shoot afterwards when you No, because I did LA first. Oh, okay. And, and originally they thought I would be there even longer, but because a lot of my episode took place on the stages, which are in Los Angeles, mm. I ended up shooting a lot more here. Wow. Can I ask, uh, you definitely don't have to answer this, mm-hmm. um, but if, if you don't want to, but like when you have to go to Berlin for a month and a half, do you, you get paid more than if you're doing like four days on Criminal Minds or something? Like, does so, that no, scale? The, the, the DGA has a contract for a show. Mm-hmm. And it's either there's a network rate, a cable rate, a basic cable rate, you know, premium cable rate. So it pays the DGA network rate, but that covers seven days of prep and eight days of shoot. So mm-hmm. with cross-boarding, you'd get two for 14 days of prep and, and 16 days of shooting. And then for every day over that, you get paid a day rate. Okay. So that's how it adds up. It's the day rate. Okay. So you're like... Down to shoot for a month and a half. <laughs> well, you know, there's pros and sure, cons. Sure, you know, yeah. um, you've got a family. I enjoyed and you're being away from in home. Berlin, yeah, but yeah, exactly, yeah. my family did not come out. Um, yeah, yeah. So you know, you, you, yeah. And also, it takes, it takes you takes off the market sure. for other stuff. So there are things I had to turn down because I was in Berlin. And you might have like five days off, right, while you're there. Yeah, I think um, with I don't know if I ever had truly five days off, but I did have like some chunks of time mm-hmm. off. And also it's it's a it's a good long prep period just because of the logistics of Berlin. And like generally you get seven days prep for the whole thing and then you're into shooting. But because we had some prep time in LA and because I shot a whole bunch of my stuff in LA, mm-hmm. there was less prep to do in Berlin mm-hmm. than what I right. normally would do for it for it if I was starting off fresh. I've wondered before uh like on Game of Thrones, you know, there'll be one director but they'll for, for an episode, but there'll be like a scene that takes place in like a snowy area and then a scene that takes place I in a desert they, area. They cross board as well. There's a great, um, 
I want to say it's the treatment, some other film podcast that talks about how just the logistics of crossboarding that show in particular and like Mm -hmm. how many people it takes. And it's really fascinating. But but you know how in that show, like even every land has its own kind of style and color palette and almost tone and Mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, like in the castle, things are like a little bit darker than in we had that certain places. Counterpart too, that there was a different um, color palette, and also um, as far as locations, what we were looking for style was different for from our version of mm-hmm. Berlin versus the other side's version mm-hmm. of Berlin. And um, so, does any show ever say like, "Well, let's just have one director do all the snow things, and one director do all the Berlin stuff, and one director do all the LA you stuff?" You know, um, I don't think so because, well, a then you're—I I don't know how that works for who gets credit. Um, the the DGA says one mm-hmm. director for each show or for each movie. So if you have someone doing scenes and then you're right. stringing those to, oh, together, now all of a sudden you have however many directors credited for it. Um, so I don't think the DJ would allow it, but also then you have a very inconsistent vision for the episode. And, you know, when you get, get a show, you have a tone meeting where the, the writer goes through how the, every scene and what they want it to feel like. So all of a sudden now you're having a tone meeting with a committee of directors because mm-hmm. every director is working on every episode. <laughs> and if all directors come to those tone meetings, like I do with lots of questions, then that can take forever. Right. Not to mention, as a director, you have to wrap your head around the overall story for that script. So all of a sudden, if I'm just doing a scene from here and there and this one, then I can't bring to it all my skills of what's going to be my mise-en-scene or what's mm-hmm. going to be, what's the theme of this script that I'm going to bring into it visually, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, so I'm curious, when you are doing this tone meeting and you want to bring a certain visual theme or something, do you pitch it to them? Do you ask them like if they have a visual theme? Like how does that interaction work with the showrunners or the writers or whoever you're talking to? I feel like the tone meeting is really for the showrunner or writer or both to tell you what they want, right? As far as how they want the tone literally of every scene. And sometimes you may think that the this is a scene where you thought the actor should be angry, but they want the actor to be happy and laughing. You know, it could be that extreme. Um, so in that, I would then, if I have any ideas for themes or visual things I want to do, I will bring them in and pitch them if they're the type of pe- person who wants that. So some showrunners have a lot, they're very visual and they want to, they want to hear that. And if you have a really good producer who works with you through prep or a really good producing director or even an AD, they'll tell you. I um, mean, sometimes you can tell in the scripts, the scripts sometimes are very descriptive with camera moves and they'll tell you this is a show where they want you to do that camera move. That's what they're seeing. Mm-hmm. Or it was just, we're just writing this to, you know, for the pe- for the network reading it do whatever you want, and they don't need to hear what all you're doing. Now, certainly if you're doing something that feels very unique or very different, then you definitely want to make sure um, that it's something that, that right. they like. Right. Yeah. And that that's why shows like Black Mirror, like you mentioned, like there's some shows that are so fun to direct because right. there's like you don't need to abide by any other yeah. episode's rules. Each, each one is its own thing. That's part of what's fun about Criminal Minds because – you have the investigation part of it, mm-hmm. which is 
really just kind of by the numbers. But for the crime, getting inside the criminal's head, you kind of get free reign to do whatever you want. And they do. It's a director's show. I mean, you could do whatever you want with the whole thing. It's just kind of... um, Really? Yeah. It's just easier to kind of go by, stick to the numbers. Like the round tables are always shot the same way. Uh Um, You know, being on the computer, it was always shot the same way. And if you want to do something different you totally can you definitely need to let them know ahead of time just so they can know that it's not going to take an hour to shoot all of her scenes now it's going to take three because of <laughs> this because i wanted to shoot it upside down and right turn in the so middle or whatever wait yeah. so what about how is castle compared to criminal minds because i think of those as right similar genres yeah so castle as well you get um you get some freedom um, they also respect the director, but I feel like in that one, you really are supposed to give them all the, the coverage that they want. Criminal Minds isn't as worried about coverage. Mm-hmm. Castle like their coverage, they like their sizes because so they like to to cut it a lot. They like to also have free, be able to rewrite, make things different as you kind of are solving the mystery. And sometimes with procedurals as well, if it's information that they feel is really important for the audience to hear, they want to make sure you get it in a close up because they're gonna uh-huh. more likely shoot. Cut to that close-up sure. for that little bit of information. That's so yeah. fascinating. Yeah. I feel like you're blowing my mind with the criminal mind stuff. You yeah. know, well, yeah. Matt is like... I, I don't watch procedurals enough. I don't mean enough, to so use like, this negative word about you, but he's like a little bit of a hater when it comes to network TV. <laughs> like, I'm like uh, a junkie. He's not a hater. It's he, not a hater. It's he, honestly, like, to be real, I, like, cut the cord, like, a decade ago. <laughs> so, like... For so a you long cut time, the cord before it was like before cool it was cool. To cut the cord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, was, I cut the cord because I was broke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, oh, I did the math on how much HBO is costing me, mm-hmm. um, and so I just kind of fell out of the rhythm of watching network TV. You know, I buy stuff on Amazon or I'd watch stuff streaming on Netflix, and I just wasn't in it. And um, yeah, so he's, not, I feel like sorry, so, he's not a hater. But, yeah, but you know, but I am, and you're just not as familiar with I'm like just, procedurals yeah, right. as like I am. Like my I, well, and I never grew up watching procedurals either. Uh-huh. Like I've, he teases me, I've literally never seen an episode of Law and Order. Yeah, and my wife has an improv <laughs> team that does a live episode of Law, an improvised episode of Law and Order every week. So yeah, I'm like so. very familiar with Law. That's and Order. why we have a podcast together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the network guy and the cable guy. Um, so yeah, well. Uh, I'm curious about Criminal Mind. So the, I, before we started recording, I told you about an editor friend of ours slash director that had been on the show that had cut Chuck and OC and all these other shows, Matt Barber. And my first feature that I did, I got edit notes from him. And he was like, hey, do you have a close-up on this character when he says this important thing? We should be on a close-up. And it's like, when someone says that, it sounds so obvious, but it's like, to me, it's like a real TV type of thing, mm-hmm. you know? But what are there any other kind of general rules, especially in a procedural, you got to get so much information to the audience and like, oh, they, you know, had a we saw this footprint here and this guy had this shoe like mm-hmm. like making all those connections. What, what are some other kind of tricks to like make it crystal clear for the audience, like what yeah. you're telling them? We are asked to make it more crystal clear than it needs to be. The network, they want it to be really clear. Mm -hmm. So getting those close-ups are one thing. Getting those inserts, um, choosing angles that can, you could see the clue, even though you may not not (laughs) realize you see the, the, the clue. Can you give us an example of what you mean by that? So if it was a thing where the shoe was important... 
Actually, I'm going to use one of my favorite. Ooh, good. I didn't do this, too. Okay. Oh, I wish I could remember the director who did it. Oh, I should, because she deserves kudos. I think it was a woman um, who did a How to Get Away with Murder um, the year I did one. So I was watching everything to prepare for my episode. And she had this incredible wonder that started with the character signing for a package uh-huh. that she received. Um and she went to give the guy the pen back, but he walked away. And she's like, okay, I'll keep this pen. And it goes through the house, and there's all this information you're getting. It's moving. Like, the best way to give people to get through some of this expositional stuff is to keep it moving, keep it alive. You're talking um, about keep the camera moving. Keeping the camera moving, yeah. We actually went through, through. Um, um, I don't know why I can't think of the main character, Viola character's name right now, but we went through her her office and her house and this and that was happening and it was a wonder and I thought it was amazing and the one thing that stuck out for me was like why didn't he take the pen and then later on you come to find out that it was all a plant and like that pen I'm sorry I'm spoiling for anyone who hasn't seen this but if you're that far behind in how to get with murder then I'm sure you've had lots of spoilers <laughs> yeah, but that pen actually was um had a recording device in it and it was oh, way fine. there people fine. were overhearing everything and I was like how awesome that this Key clue is kind of thrown away at the beginning, uh-huh. but just enough not thrown away that it did stick in your head, but not like in a, in a you know, this is a, a clue, must pay attention here, which is what often happens in Law and mm-hmm. Order. I feel right. like you watch Law and Order and you immediately know, okay, there's the bad guy. Sure. Oh, they, that's the, that's they put that's the that. pen in, like, in yes, the foreground with be, like a thumb. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And they're holding it a little bit <laughs> sure, long. Sure, you know, Rack long. two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so I thought that is a great way of putting in a, a little clue for the audience. Yeah. I mean, if you were doing your laundry, you would have missed it. Mm-hmm, but, right. you know, but uh, so there you go. That's an example. of Which what. I suppose is the argument towards shooting the close up of the clue. Right. Like it's kind of I think that's maybe where the network mentality comes in. Yeah, of like, though, if you're doing your laundry, you're still not going to see the close up. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. You know? That's a good point. I, I don't know. When I've worked with TV writers, I've found a lot of times, especially kind of like the older generation of TV writers, the characters say every single thing that mm-hmm. That they want people I'm gonna to know. Put my yeah, reporter pen there's down. like zero yeah. zero reliance yeah. on the visual <laughs> information. Yeah. That that is and that is a very much a big part of it. Yeah, you know, and you'll get the scripts, and sometimes you'll you'll you know you'll get your draft and you're like, oh, I like this draft, and then you get the next draft and you're like, you go to the writer, you're like, why are we saying that? And they're like, network. Yeah. <laughs> <So> <laughs> when it, whenever it's that sure. obvious, it's usually yeah, the yeah. network asking you to, to put it in. And then, so let's say you recorded, you recorded, you shot the scene and you got that dialogue and then you're looking at it in the edit and you're like, mm-hmm. he doesn't need to say she has blue mm-hmm. eyes. We're like on a shot so you of cut her it body. Out. Yeah. And so That's, you do that before the network sees it and then you see yeah, if they so, miss it. So often, yes, often we'll get lines added to the script that they want us to shoot, so we'll have it. Mm-hmm. And the writer will even say, you know, just if it doesn't work, just cut it and edit. And if I feel like you get it, I'll cut it. And once you do your cut, you turn it in, you generally won't see it again until it airs. Mm-hmm. A few shows are cool and they'll keep you in the loop as far as, as different cuts come out. But generally you turn it in and you never see it again. So then you'll see, oh, they put that line back in, or mm-hmm. oh, see, they... They probably didn't even remember that line. They right. saw it and it made sense and they didn't feel like they had to have it. Yeah. I did uh, this Lifetime movie once and there was like five lines of dialogue that are the only reason that like the police officer, or the sheriff like found the bad guy. Like she had connected that she thought they thought it was this man and it 
but there was this makeup and it matched the makeup of this other woman that they had met. And that's kind of what connected the whole thing. And just for runtime, like lifetime, just cut out that entire conversation. <laughs> and I, and then so I how came, did you put it together? They did came it still back, work? Well, I didn't like my cut had it in there. Right. But then when they edited all the commercials in and stuff, um, she's like, Oh, Sally found something. And then like the next scene there, they were already like got the result of what Sally found, you know, mm-hmm. they're already on his trail, but they cut mm-hmm. out the part where she told us like yeah. what yeah, she like, found. Uh, Sally and, found something cut to yeah. good work, Sally. Yeah. yeah that's the, I, the, I hate when that happens too. Cause you, 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 you are invested in watching these people figure it out. Yeah, and right. so when all of a sudden it jumps that process and they already have it, you feel a little gypped. Yeah. 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 But it kind of, I don't know, because it was a lifetime movie or just kind of along for the right, like, those movies are truly designed for you to be folding your laundry like on the couch <laughs> while you're watching it on Saturday afternoon, maybe, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, it didn't really matter. Like we knew she was on her trail and then we just skipped one part of how she connected mm-hmm. two dots. But, um, well, so the, and because I watch a lot of network TV, I want to ask one other thing, like a show like Castle Empire or like, I'm looking through your resume, uh, I think Lucifer even, or how to get away with murder. There's like all these like super like shallow depth of field, like beautiful close-up shots. Is mm-hmm. that like something that you do because it's like the style of the show or is that like, mm-hmm. can you just talk about depth of field <laughs> for sure. a second? I know it seems so hyper-specific, but it's something mm-hmm. I'm like always thinking about. I had a shoot mm-hmm. today and I was like, mm-hmm. ah, we were, you know, we had a, like a, Panavision Primo. We only had one lens, just the zoom lens. It was like a 19 to 110 or something. And the 110, I was like, ah, this just doesn't look like I would love. I feel like it could look more beautiful. It was like a longer lens. Mm -hmm. Like what, what's kind of like, what, how do you approach that stuff? Mm -hmm. Well, before I go on any show, I watch as many uh, episodes as I can so that I can have his visual style in my head. And some shows, that's what they want. They love mm-hmm. those glorious long lens close-ups. And some shows, and those tend to be your network shows, they tend mm-hmm. to like that more. And I feel like in cable world, you get away more with the not-so-long close-ups and even the, the wide and close close-ups. Right, like a Cone Brothers style close-up yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry to interrupt, mm-hmm. but just on that network close-up mm-hmm. tip, do mm-hmm. they have other like things they like? Like, Do they like to always have like some bright, things and like a light in the background or like I like to always foreground. have a light in the background oh, okay. that's just me um, it just makes the shot prettier um, I and avoid putting up putting people against the wall and they have to be near a wall then I try to have a, a light in that wall or I'd love to shoot towards windows it just really makes it look prettier um, I, I don't think network doesn't they don't care about that yeah, they'll, yeah. they'll take the close-up in front of the plain wall <laughs> as long as they get they get the close-up you know um, and also, the, the good thing is, you come. You're the guest, but you have either the show will have either one or two DPs. Um, mm-hmm. It's great when they have two DPs because you're prepping with your DP. Oh, that's a great point. Yeah. yeah, interesting. But if you have one, then you try to have at least a lunch meeting. Some DPs will meet with you on the weekend, and you could talk through all that stuff. They're they keep the. They're kind of the protectors of the look, mm-hmm, right. and so yeah, they know the best. Yes. They'll also yeah. be like, they don't like that thing on the uh, show. Yes, right? they'll totally tell you that. Oh, they don't like Steadicam. Oh, they do like Steadicam. Oh, they don't like handheld. You know, any of that stuff. They'll tell you, but they'll know if you're shooting a scene like us talking. They'll know that this is a show 
where we don't like to move the camera, we like to go longer. Mm-hmm. Or this is a show where they don't like to go longer, they like to move the camera in closer to get different sizes. Um, and then, of course, you can choose. Some shows don't care. You, you can make that decision. And then I go off of the emotions of the scene. Do I want that character to feel isolated? So then I'll do it on a longer lens. Um, or do I just love like the lights in the background? And I want them to be twinkly. Then I'll do a long lens. Are they feeling overwhelmed? And I'll come in and do a close and wide. Or if I really love the background and I want to keep it present, then I'll do a, a close and wide instead of a longer lens. Um, so I feel like those are all, most shows, those are decisions that you can get away, mm-hmm. you can make. And even if for some reason within a scene that you're shooting, I want to do close and wide on you for whatever emotional thing you're going through. And we're, we're just chatting, so I'll just do your normal long lens. On shows that want that, I will cover you with a long lens close-up as well mm-hmm. so that they have what they need. So you give need. them choices. In and then case, in my yeah. edit, I'll use the close and right. wide, close-up, and see. Maybe they fall in love with see it. See if they like yeah, it, if they're yeah, happy yeah. with it. Yeah, but if they right. hate it, then they have their option. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're almost always using at least two cameras, right? Yes. Generally, I would say it's probably like 70% of the shows I do are two cameras. And then 29% are three cameras. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I've actually been on a show. Some of the lifetime features I did, we only had one camera. But generally it's two cameras. There may be setups where you only use one, but you can usually plan on two. Cool. I guess with blocking, like when you're blocking for TV, Mm -hmm. like how much are you worried about how, like the timing Mm -hmm. of a scene? Like, oh, I think it'd be cool if he like walks to this table and picks this thing up and then she comes in and sees it. How complicated is your blocking relative to what you're worried they're going to need to adjust and edit from a dialogue perspective? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, well, Matt and I work on a lot of short form stuff. Today, the stuff I shot today was like two 15-second spots and a 30-second spot. So it's like if I want her to like drink a glass of champagne and it takes like three seconds instead of one second, I'm like... (laughs) Ah, this isn't going to work. You know, like how mm-hmm. much of that mm-hmm. are you thinking about when you're mm-hmm. figuring out your blocking? I think the closest to at least you thinking I have 15 seconds to tell this story is that I think I realize I have 42 minutes to tell this story. Mm-hmm. And if it feels like it's a lot of champagne, if, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if it feels like the scenes, like all my scenes are always long, then I'm like, okay, we're ending up with a really long episode and I can always check in with the script supervisor and see mm-hmm. kind of where we are on the estimate. But with any individual scene, I think I'm always t- kind of like feeling the rhythm of the scene. Mm-hmm. And if it feels too slow or too fast, when I block, I go through and I first try to just think as an actor, what would I want to do? How would I want to move? Would I not want to move? Um, just to try, I try to make it organic. And then based on, well, actually the first thing I do when I walk into a room that I'm going to block, I see where the windows are and I try to see how am I going to make this work so that yeah, I can yeah. look towards the windows. <laughs> um, and I check out, do I have entrances and exits? So do I need to include the door into this? And I feel like the I fact the door? that you love to shoot towards windows pretty much says that you work kind of like on big budget stuff. Oh right? yeah. Because I feel like, right, like if you're, if you're working on smaller budget if you things, can't it's like contain don't that shoot light. in front of that yeah. window because it's like they're going to be in silhouette, right? You know, mm-hmm. um, right? You have to have the the juice and the light to bring. Sometimes them up. it's yeah. cool for them to be in silhouette, though. 
Yeah. I yeah. love silhouettes. But Sometimes that's like why silhouette? I look. You know what? Um, well, it depends on the show. Sure. And if they hate silhouettes, the DP will tell me that. And mm-hmm. we'll make sure we give them enough fill. And if they love, you know, but these days the shows that I get really excited about shooting are the ones that are cinematic and that mm-hmm. they'll let you do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Handmaid's right. Tale. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, one, no one's like, exactly. mm, the depth of field is a little shallow guys. Can we fix that? Like, the- but I think with Handmaid's Tale, actually, they probably would not want you to do like a really long lens mm-hmm. close yeah. up. Um, because they like to be right up in yeah. their face. Or they'd want half the frame to be wall, green <laughs> yeah. wall that's kind of dirty. Or yeah. Something. Yeah. 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 That show is so, so beautiful. Yeah. At least the first season, the second season. I couldn't get through it. My it was wife, so much. Yeah. She made us, me stop watching. I, I mean, can watch stop. it on my own, but it was, she it was like handle it. so. Yeah. Oppressive. Like, right? Yeah. I was like, I can't deal with this right now. It's rough. Anyway, still a beautiful show, no matter what. I like I, sh- I should get back but, into it. Um, <laughs> okay. So the question that I told Matt that I want to ask all our guests from the, as like a grounding question. And you're the first one we're testing this question out on. Oh. Is tell us your path to your first paid directing gig. Okay. Well, my first paid gig was my first feature. And I mean, it was pretty low, but it was paid. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, that's not even true. My first paid gig was a series of PSAs that I did for the Los Angeles Foundation of Legal Aid. Awesome. So, and the way I got that is through a friend, yeah, a friend of a friend who, running the Legal Aid um, Foundation of Los Angeles, I guess told her that she wanted to do these PSAs, and she says, well, Honolulu makes shorts, and so she could do it, and I was hired to do it. So, <laughs> um, And my producer had produced my shorts, so it was him and mm-hmm. me and, you know, a bunch of people, a bunch of actors. I didn't do any kind of major casting. I did some casting and it was us running around town with our van and, you know, trying to do these things as fast as possible. We had like a budget for all of them and we did, I think maybe like 10 different PSAs on on a budget of a short um, and a lot of favors. So that was my first paid thing. And had your short won Sundance or anything like notable? No, I did not win Sundance. I I have not even had anything play at Sundance. Um, I've had uh, uh, my second short, my DWW short played at the AFI um, Film Festival. Mm -hmm. And I think that is as close to one of those top 10 festivals as I have, that I've come. Yeah. So you've got that job from Having knowing the producer pretty much, and the producer having a good experience with you on your own project. Mm-hmm. Um, well, well, I want to ask a little bit about because I feel like you'd mentioned DWW is kind of like that mm-hmm. was a big breakthrough for you in mm-hmm. terms of booking additional work. How did you first get DWW? So DWW is stands for Directing Workshop for Women. It is done by AFI. It is a one year program that. You, they select eight women to participate and you don't pay tuition. So it's different from the conservatory. And in that year, you get some mentorship. You learn all the nuts and bolts of directing. When I did it, you didn't have to have directed something, but mm-hmm. now you do. So um, a lot of women know the basics, but it really is there to give you the confidence to step into that seat mm-hmm. and you create a short as part of it. So the way I got into DWW, I mean, I... Basically, in 2000, I decided enough 
hoping that Hollywood would give me my big break. I need to like go out and make that break. And the Canon XL1 was like now the thing that all the independent filmmakers used. You didn't have that high cost point of film. So you didn't have that excuse anymore. And they made 28 Days Later on it, right? So everyone's like, oh. All the stuff that was being done right around that time had the video look to it. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the sacrifice you made, at least for all budgets that we had. But anyway, so I did that first short. I was like, um, I was inspired by Sundance and everyone who was just doing it. I was like, okay, let's get the camera. Let's shoot this. I used my savings. I made this first short. And after that, I and using and I submitted that as part of my AFI um, application, mm-hmm. and so I was selected as one of those eight women yeah. to do um, my next short. And, and it is hyper competitive. It. It's like it's kind yeah. of it's a big big deal to yes. be DWW. Yes. And uh, you, I think you mentioned off mic, you're like a part of a, an alumni that's like very. Uh, supportive and like in tune with each other. Like you guys, you get to communicate with each other and like the screening every year is like a big, awesome party. Right. 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 It's a great so Kind of like your film one. school network. Yes. But, yeah. But yes. if you're, yeah, I guess it's film school. If yeah. your class was eight people, you know? Yeah. Uh, sorry. You were saying um, that was it. So, <laughs> How did I get to AFI <laughs> DWW? So that you was, that was it. That was it. That was it. Cool. Wait, yeah. So, and then, so how'd you get that uh, paid feature gig? Okay, so I made my short for AFI. That was called A Single Rose. Beautiful, gorgeous, period piece. Mm -hmm. Um, At the same time, a friend of mine had an idea for a spoof of Sex in a City called Six in a City. Mm -hmm. About six-year-old kids on the playground. And they announced they were canceling the show. So we were like, oh my God, we have to make this short now. So we made the short that following summer. And I had these two shorts that were going around doing festivals at the same time. One was this gorgeous period piece, and one was a comedy with four kids. And so um, I got into Berlin's talent campus, which is part of the Berlin Film Festival. And I met Rebecca Sunshine there, and we had lunch back in L.A., and she pitched a bunch of projects, and I was really attracted to this project called Within, which was about two nine-year-old girls in a supernatural thriller. In the meantime, I had been a part of this group called Filmmakers Alliance, and we worked on each other's shorts, and it was all about supporting each other to make our films. Does that still exist? It still exists, yes. And um, I had worked on... And you were in L.A. this whole time, right? Yes, I was in L.A. Mm -hmm. I worked on these producers' stuff, and they had seen my my shorts, and they knew my work ethic, and they liked what I'd done. I brought it to them. And they were working with a company called Bigfoot that wanted to finance low-budget genre stuff. Mm-hmm. And so they loved um, that script. And the question was, why should Hanley direct it? And I was like, well, you're not going to do it unless I direct it. Good and luck, also, jerks. here are my two samples. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here's the gorgeous, beautiful piece. And here's what shows I can work with kids. <laughs> and they were like, okay, fine, done. Oh, nice. The yeah. kids angle. That's oh, really yeah. good. I yeah. thought you were going to say comedy. Yeah. But yeah, no, the, wait, and then so, it's not a comedy. <laughs> and so they gave you, um, they just gave, she gave you the script. So uh, they, the woman you had met in, in Berlin. Yeah, I optioned it from her. It was, um, I think it took place in the 80s, so I worked with her to uh, rewrite it so that it was in the present day because I knew I had to be done at a budget. We ended up doing it for like, just under a million dollars. Oh, wow. And, that, and you got that from Bigfoot? Yes. Cool. And then, uh, and was that it? Then you just started getting paid gigs? No. Back to so back? basically the way the universe works, 
I feel like once I made that decision and I was going for this 100% and I stopped working full time and I just was working part time and I like got the camera, I made the first short. It was like things started opening up and moving forward, Mm -hmm. but it was still slow. It's like I'd get just enough of something to keep me going. Every time I was like ready to walk away, I'd get something else. So I got. Did you have to do like side jobs to make pay rent and all that stuff or yeah but i always tried to just you know make sure it was somehow related to the ultimate goal and i was lucky enough that i got married and so and he was very is very supportive he had the regular job which kind of helped us to pay to, to, mm-hmm. to pay the bills as well yeah so after that you know we shot that and it took like years to finally finish it and finally you know more years to sell it lifetime bought it um, in the meantime, I'm still doing meetings. I'm, tr- you know, trying to find a, a manager and stuff. Um, I finally find a manager. And in the same time, Lifetime really likes the movie, does well on their channel. And so they put me in touch with these producers who are looking for director. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so then I got my second feature. One of those independent movies that Lifetime acquires. Right. Like there's a contract in place, basically. Right. I don't know if the contract is in place or if it's just a verbal thing, but it's kind of like they know what their outlet outlet is going to be for the for the movie before it begins. Right, right. Um, so we did that one, and um, that did well. I did another one with them, and it was like kind of like after that that I had enough body of work that I got to, into NBC's diversity program, and that is kind of what helped to make the switch over to TV. And that's a directing program, the diversity yes. one. Yes. And how, how many and that people one's still going think? as well too. Right? Yes, yeah. it is. Now I feel like every studio has or yes. all the major. Just ones about are. now, every network and every studio has a program. Yeah. And do you recommend people like look at those? Like, is that was it pretty helpful? I do recommend that everybody apply because getting into TV, getting past those gatekeepers is, mm-hmm. is very very hard, and the programs are just one way to do it. But I also strongly encourage everybody to not feel like that's the only way, sure. and to like just rely on it, and just feel like it's never going to happen just because you don't get in. Because there are other ways to do it too. How many people were in your program? Like four. How, uh, they accepted four people. Yeah, NBC only accepts four. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I mean they really teach you the the whole world, the whole system, right? Because network TV is like it's its own ecosphere right well I, I when i did it you didn't get that much instruction oh, okay i think they do more now mm-hmm. like when i did it it wasn't about having classes and learning all that stuff when i did it it's really about shadowing and you learn through mm-hmm. shadowing and watching that director go through that process being there for prep production and post what uh what shows did you shadow on i, I did curious. parenthood parenthood oh, yes. cool. oh cool awesome it's a but good looking show I also too, right? did, I shadowed 13 shows Whoa. ultimately and Parenthood is just the one that I did through the program. I shadowed the other 12 independently. Mm-hmm. So also those shows are a great way to get into a position of shadowing, but you don't need those programs. I said those shows, I mean, those programs are a great way to shadow and mm-hmm. to get in, but they're not the only way. You can right. do it independently. You can tap your, uh, tap your contacts and find other ways to shadow and that also can possibly lead to work. That's really interesting. Matt and I have both shadowed TV directors. Neither one of us has really directed network TV or any like major cable TV. But what like what's your opinion on shadowing? What's the it, like if you obviously shadowed on a lot of shows, do you feel like that is part of what got you your jobs? Or? The fact that I had shadowed on those shows? Yeah. Um 
as far as, well, if you're saying as far as, oh, she shot all 13 shows, let's give her a, a shot. No, I do not or, think that had anything no, to do with it. No, or like learning, like, what, what, what did, like, did you need to shadow that many shows? I feel like I needed to shadow that many shows because that was the way you make that the contacts, the you know. Yeah. The, the, at first you're shadowing because you're learning how the TV system works and, and how it's different from features. Eventually, you know that. And it can get boring. Um, and the way I dealt with not for it not getting boring is anytime I shot a show, I approached it as if I was directing the show. And mm-hmm. so I broke down my script. I did the shot list. I you know blocked. You know I did all of that too, just so I can that keep it interesting advice. for myself. That is so smart. Like you just wrote, just had your own thing, and then on set mm-hmm. you were like, well, this is what I would have done if they ask. Well, no, but or like just even if they don't ask, you're. Oh yeah, yeah, and then I can I can compare and I can see. Uh-huh. Oh, I see how that how he or she tackled that, and that's more efficient, or how that looks better, or how ooh look how that flowed. I remember having a scene with seven characters, and I was like, oh my god, how do I blah blah blah, and then I saw how he did, and I was like, wow, look how he just turned it still yeah. into two directions with all these characters. You are blowing my worked. mind. I think that is yeah. like such incredible advice. That's like some some of the best stuff we've yeah. heard on this show. Yeah, because I, you know it's easy to feel like it's easy. I don't want to say check out, but to feel like you're not. It's hard to engage when you're not literally the person doing right. it, right. right? And this is such a person yeah. perfect. Execution but also, of that. I think check out is an interesting description because I think that if you've done a lot and you're bored or you're starting mm-hmm. to feel like why am I shattering again? I deserve my shot, even though that's probably true. People pick up on those vibes, mm-hmm. and so that just makes it mm-hmm. less attractive. And you just never really know how it works out. Like, basically, I shadowed on the mentalists. They felt like Chris, the producing director, felt like I wasn't the right person to direct that show. But he wrote a great letter mm-hmm. to the CBS executives about me and said you should meet her. Cool. I had a great meeting with them, and so they contacted Criminal Minds and said, "Can she shadow with you?" At the same time, I met an executive producer at a at an alum event. For, that my for Harvard, my husband went to Harvard. Was and he went to Harvard. This executive producer, and I was like, I would love to shadow. And so I went to flew myself to South Carolina and, sh- and shadowed on Army Wives. And it just so happened that it was Smart. the same director that the CBS executives had asked me had asked for me to shadow on Criminal Minds, who is the producing director. So I got to first meet him in South Carolina, and then I got to mm-hmm. shadow him again um, on uh, Criminal Minds. And what was great was that. Then he hired me to do Criminal Minds, and that was, I don't even know if it was related to the fact that I'd done Parenthood in 90210, or maybe it was. And 90210 is another great story where, my, my, where I knew the showrunner, and my manager was like, ask her if you can, sh- you know, shadow. And so I did, and she had me shadow, and then when Parenthood offered me a shot, she could go, she went to CW, and it's like, if NBC is hiring her, then we should hire her. Sure, so You smart. know, so that's how, where, like, other shadowing opportunities led to jobs, and, and wow. you just never know when that's going to be the right combination of stuff. Yeah. Wait, like, and when you flew yourself to oh, North Carolina, oh. was that, um, did you put yourself up and you yeah, paid for everything? Yeah, I mean, the programs pay for you to go. Um, but all the shadowing did, I did Toronto, I did, yeah, the, yeah. I went to New York once, um, I went to a bunch of places, you, I always flew myself, Atlanta, I think I did one, I flew myself in, figure out where I was going to sleep, it's not so cheap, it's hard, so and awesome. for three yeah. weeks you're taking yourself out of the market for whatever side job you have. Oh, you're yeah. shadowing for an entire... 
I like think it's very important production. to shadow for the whole thing. And if you can't do the whole thing, prep is more important than post. Mm-hmm. I mean, than production. And most people want to put shadow oh. production because that's the, the glamorous part. But prep is the time when you really get to connect with the producers uh-huh. and the people who can actually hire you, you know, and really have great conversations with the director. Once you're in production, the producers are barely around and the director is dealing with their own stress mm-hmm. and, you know. Yeah, they're directing. Yeah, yeah. directing. Yeah. yeah. So what I want to just clarify for people is that, like, you know, there are so many things that went right in this story, right? But you didn't know any of those things, those dots were going to connect mm-hmm. uh, when it happened. So, like, you know, you went to, I'm sure, plenty of other networking events where, like, you met nice people and it was fine. Mm-hmm. Or, like, you shadowed, you know, a ton, of, literally uh, 10 other shows that didn't pan out ultimately. But, like, just being prepared and ready when those opportunities did arise was really the secret to your success. But, like, just having the moxie to, like, fly yourself all these places, to go to all of that, all of those events, to, like, connect those dots is the is the reason you got that first shot in the, in the first place. You know what I mean? You were right. there and you were ready. Right. But you had no idea what thing was going to pan out. No, you really don't. And a lot of it doesn't. And, you know, you mentioned, like, getting your studio feature that was taken away. I haven't had that experience. I haven't been lucky enough yet to be offered <laughs> a studio feature. But certainly there have been many other things along the way where it just didn't pan out or they changed their mind, you know, or... You thought you were attached to a feature, and then you find out through social media that actually they're directing it with someone else. You yeah, know, they're like another director. And you're like, oh, you read I on didn't deadline. Even get oh, that great. Call, so, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the conversation with you is making me think, and something that Matt and I talk a lot about on the podcast is we usually use the word network. Like, you know, you kind of got to build your network, whether it's through film school or through shorts, or you went in Craigslist, or you did Help whatever. Help people out, you know, crew yeah. on other people's films, get to know people, support each other. But like kind of this other way you're describing it is like a different paradigm of the same thing. It's like instead of worrying about like kind of building your network, like make this friend and make that friend and make that friend, you're like just building all the dots, you know? And mm-hmm. you don't really care which dots they are and what they're connected to, and eventually they'll connect, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like you're going to mixers with your husband and you're making your own shorts and you're applying to all these programs. Or, I mean, even, you know, going to Film Fatales mm-hmm. and DWW. That's how we got connected with you in the first place, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So we are as good as getting that <laughs> directing gig. <laughs> yeah. But no, but just like the, that it's like, it, it's about just the, creating a hundred touch points and then like seeing Mm -hmm. how they connect at some point, you know, and it's Mm -hmm. not about like one path that you, if you don't, if it doesn't succeed or if you have, you finally get this Mm -hmm. amazing meeting and it leads Mm -hmm. nowhere that things are over. But there is some strategy involved and I probably could have shadowed on less than 13 things if I had been more strategic about it. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, you know, like it's, there's a certain time when it's a good time to shadow on a show to up your odds of being hired, and there's times when it's a bad time to shadow on a show. When is a good time and when is a bad time? I would say the good time, the sweet spot, is probably year two, three, and maybe four. Mm-hmm. Year one is... And you're saying on a network show or on any show? I would say any show. Year one is a bad time to shadow because they're still figuring their, themselves out and working out kinks and stuff, so they more than likely will hire for year two, someone from year one who did really well mm-hmm. or a new group of experienced uh, directors, right? Mm-hmm. 
by the end of year two, they really kind of have their rhythm. So if you shadow in year two, you probably get a shot in -hmm. year three, being that you also have the reel to support that you can do the job. Mm -hmm. And so I think picking the shows that if they ask to look at your stuff really shows that you can do that type of show is better than just, I'm going to shadow on whatever show. You know, Mm -hmm. if you're a comedy director, don't shadow on a dark drama because they're not going to know that you can do a dark drama, you know, that sort of thing. So what did you show when you got Parenthood and 90210 kind of around the same time? So Parenthood was... It's year two. Huh? What did you show them of your work? So interesting enough, Parenthood, I think I remember responded to, I actually think they watched the comedy short. Six in the City? Uh Uh-huh. And A Single Rose, and I think they watched one of my features. Um, So I did, so my very first short was a comedy. It's interesting because I don't do comedies. Um, but it was a romantic comedy. My second short was a drama, period drama. My third short was the kid comedy. My first feature was a supernatural thriller. My second feature was a thriller. And I think it was a matter of working with my manager to mm-hmm. create reels that showed, okay, she can work well with kids. She can do well with drama. She can do well with thrillers, you know, with supernatural, with genre stuff. So we had those different versions of my reel. And so whatever Parenthood saw showed them that I could deal with drama and work with actors. And how long of a reel are you making to show like a TV producer? Oh, you try to keep it short. Mm -hmm. I think it's probably less than 10, you know. Mm -hmm. If you can get it in five, even better. So you're showing them like a, you know that, this parenthood is like a family drama with some light moments and some dramatic moments, and well, you're trying to put those types of scenes on there? Yeah, but here's the thing. So when I applied for the NBC program, they kind of they ask you which shows do did you feel like you would be right for? And so what the thing that I initially sent them did not have like perfect for parenthood real. It actually had a variety of stuff because, um, you know, I also had supernatural thriller stuff, which I think ultimately is what led to getting um, hired on Grimm. Uh, not to mention I shadowed on Grimm and that was independent of the, of the program. Um, was that in Portland? Was that? Yes, that was, was in, Portland. in Portland. Yes. So I flew you myself to Portland to shadow on Grimm. Wow. It's never even, I don't know. I guess I shadowed once and it was like you're saying it was kind of boring um, and I f- didn't feel like I got a lot out of it. And I was like, yeah, I guess I'm just shadowing not for me. But now <laughs> I realize the way you did it. Yeah, it's like so totally much smarter than us. Um, better, yeah. Let me ask, how are you, because I'm sure everyone at home wants to know, how did you generate all of these opportunities to shadow in the first place? Sure. So some of it came through meetings with executives. Mm-hmm. Um, as you have these meetings and you're first starting out, She's like, I want to direct an episode of a show. That's a very easy no for them. Mm-hmm. But saying, I really want to learn. I want to experience TV. You know, can I shadow? That's an easy yes for them. Or at least it's easier than saying, yes, you can direct a show. So when right, it's kind I of was, low risk. Right? Yeah. And it is still a risk, but it's low risk. And so... Um, I, my, my manager and I, we would, as we approach these meetings and she would always say, just be sure you can ask if, if you can shadow. And whenever I approached these meetings, I also had done my research to be able to say, I would love to shadow on this show or that show. Mm-hmm. And they would know the tenor of the show and if they were open to it or not open to it. So that's how a bunch of them happened. One happened because I literally cold wrote the showrunner 
and said how much I love the show and I would love to shadow it and I was willing to fly myself up there. Can we to ask do what it. show that is? That was uh, Soul Food and that was Felicia Henderson. And um, that was the first thing I ever shadowed on. And she was like, sure, come on up. So, you know, it could be, you could be that lucky that mm-hmm. that can happen. Um, one show was um, The Mentalist. I knew a writer on staff. Mm-hmm. So if you know a writer on staff, contact that I person. So I would love to shadow that show. Um, they would probably have to get permission from other entities, but you have that person who's rallying for you to get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and did the yeah. man- your manager help you get the executive meeting, like the yes. meetings? Yes. It's funny because like another thing we say on the podcast all the time is like, you don't really need a manager, an agent until you have like a body of work that's like worth showing people, which obviously you did have a body of work showing people, but they also were doing all this other stuff for you. Right. Like getting you meetings. Right. But when I got my manager, I had the shorts and I had to, and I had the one feature. Right. And that was enough for her to take Mm -hmm. the chance on me and then work her butt off. She's amazing. Setting up all these various meetings um, Are you yeah. still with the same manager? Yeah. Oh, oh that's cool. great. Yeah. Is it at a big company? Nope. Her name's Adessa Makala. It's just her. Um, she has. She's fully booked. So sorry, guys. <laughs> well, <laughs> but, but on that tip, if <laughs> we get emails, if we have some new filmmakers that you know just kind of recently devoted themselves full time to film, they had a short, a, a good festival. Mm-hmm. They maybe made an indie feature. Mm-hmm. Would you recommend that they look for? If they're looking for reps, like go to like a big company or try to find like kind of a smaller. I would recommend hustler. find a hustler manager first. I would not worry about the agents once you start booking jobs. That the agents will find you, but you need that person. And and agents have they have tons of of people, so they don't really have the time to keep pitching a newer person. A manager's invested in that for you. And, and, and the manager will help you find an agent as well. Mm-hmm. So I would say find a manager and have that cheerleader who will call all these places and, and, and pitch you and get you into these meetings. Yeah. Cool. Wow, well, all this stuff has been very enlightening. Yeah, um, I, I genuinely think you're changing Oren and my mind about a lot. Of, like we're like, oh, I got to start shadowing. I need to get some more executive meetings. Like, what is going on? Yeah, well, <laughs> but I think kind of the genius thing you're saying is that it's very easy for them to say no. I'm not going to let you direct, right. but it's harder for them to say no when you're saying, "Can I learn about what you do?" You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we should probably wrap it up. Uh, I know. I feel like we have a thousand more questions, but we could probably spend another hour just talking about like directing versus writing and like making your own work and things of that nature. But maybe we'll have you back at some point. I'd love um, to come back. Yeah, this has really been awesome. But have milk chocolates next. Time. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I'm like trying to train my two and a half year old to like dark chocolate instead of milk chocolate because mm-hmm. you know it is it's better it's, for you. It's pretty good for your heart. Yeah, less sugar. So. I'm trying to do dark chocolate only. <laughs> um, anyway, should we move into our final segment? Unpaid endorsements. Or you got something? I have something though. I feel like I shouldn't give it away. Ooh! But I'm gonna do it. Yeah. Um, so there's this place. Have you guys heard of a place called EcoSet in Glendale? E C O S E T. Did I tell you about it? No, no. It's like it's like a big secret, uh, but I'm just doing it. I'm doing it. So 
I think it was started by like Target or Walmart or some giant corporation that was shooting these like million dollar commercials. And then they had all these sets and they were just throwing them away. And someone at the company was like, we can't just like be throwing all this stuff. And we just spent like, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars building all this in woods and flats and design. Like, why don't we at least try to recycle them somehow? And so this, it's, I think it's a nonprofit or something. This company Ecoset kind of was born out of that. And after giant productions, they give all their sets to this place. It's in Glendale. Oh, awesome. And anyone can go there. I mean, you have to sign up for an account and make an appointment and go browse their inventory. And they have props and other art stuff too. But the biggest thing they have is like a bunch of flats. Um, and you can just have whatever you want for free. For free? <laughs> for free. Oh my yes. God. So Boy. I just, um, so this thing I just shot today, you see this like giant wall it's like a 16 foot by 10 foot mm-hmm. wall with like these cool squares and then this half wall um we got that from ecoset just for free i mean we painted it a different color but um wow but yeah they give if you're doing indie films also i think if you're an indie filmmaker or a student filmmaker they will give you uh expendables for free like you know a lot of productions like here's mm-hmm. like a ton of duvetine yeah, or bounce boards or whatever yeah. um so it's like insane what they have and so wow. when we went there, they, this giant Target commercial had just wrapped and they had like all these pink walls and like tiled walls and walls with circles and fireplaces and like all these things. That's cool. I mean, you have to get your own truck, you know, and mm-hmm. get it out of there in your own mm-hmm. labor. But they also have room there to rent if you want to build or modify the sets and have tools and things. Um, wow. I mean, you would probably need to be like a, an experienced art person to do it. Um, but anyway, EcoSet in Glendale, it's like... Kind of, it's crazy because I was that, like, you're blown my so mind. how much is this going to cost? How much is this going to cost? They're like, it's free. I'm like, I just could not no, understand but for it. real, how much is it cost? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, EcoSet, that's my unpaid endorsement. You guys got anything? I want to endorse our electoric system. We encourage everyone to go out and vote. I, ho- I, ho- I guess hopefully this will air before we vote. Oh, but yeah. I want to encourage all of you guys out there November to 6th, not right? be, yes, not be apathetic. I actually was going to endorse the candidate, and I was like, maybe I shouldn't do that, but I'll endorse that we should vote. And then he tells me that you uh, yeah. <laughs> do rock the vote. So I was like, okay, I picked the right thing. Well, do you want to give us the candidate? Yeah, who's your candidate? Um, well, I really love Amy McGrath, and I love Stacey. Both of them we can't vote for in Los Angeles, but if anyone's listening out in Georgia, and Stacey's in Georgia, and Amy, I think she's in Texas. I can't remember, but um, look for their... Videos, they're amazed, two oh, amazing wait, women. Is she the flight? The yes. Pilot? Oh, yeah. oh, yes. Yes. The video I think we might good. have talked about that yeah. video before. It's like insanely good. To me, it's like as filmmakers, I feel like I should try to find a candidate I like and really try to make like a viral video. Make for a them. cool video mm-hmm. for them. Yeah. Um, and if it's not good, then who cares? But like, it seems like the thing I could contribute. But now, now things are different. Okay, Matt. All right, I got it. So um, I, uh, avid listeners will know, I love comic books. Um, and every year, uh, towards the end of the year, there's a the America's Best, you know, like America's Best Comics or America's Best Short Stories. There's like an anthology of like collected works. And um, the comics one in particular, I've always found to be an incredible primer on like everything that's happening in comics in that year, but also just kind of like a gateway drug into all of the different 
artists that are publishing interesting works at the time. And it's from this year. <clears throat> yeah, it's it's it, they come the out year. every year since like I want to say oh six. America's best comic. Um, it comes out towards the end of the year, so they're collating it now, basically. But that's like an old standard. So whenever I'm like feeling a little uninspired or like listless, pulling one of those off of the shelf and kind of like leafing through. Because it's like they'll do they'll do excerpts, you know. So it'll be like a few pages of this and ten pages of that. A short. It's kind of like leafing through short stories, but they're visual like the as well. So it's really it's a wonderful way to just kind of like remind yourself. And they're so well curated that it's you can't miss basically. So America's Best Comics. I can't wait for the new one this year, you guys. Oh, I'll check it out. Cool. Well, thanks so much for listening. Uh, if people want to find you online, are you on Twitter or anything? Yes, I'm on Twitter. I think I'm at Hillview798, and I'm on Instagram and Honolulu.Colpepper or something. I really should know this. Um, I also have a Facebook um, page that they can like, and they can talk to me through through that. Cool. And is that your address, your Twitter uh, Twitter is at Hillview seven nine eight. That I know for sure. No, but that's is that your street address? Hillview seven nine eight. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, great. Well, if you uh, want to find out more about our podcast, you can go to justshootedpod dot com. You can email us any questions, comments, things. We if you have any questions for our guests, we'll always forward them. Our email is justshootedpod at gmail dot com. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, everything. You can even leave us a voicemail at 2626-SHOOT1. It's been a while since we've heard a voicemail, so drop us a line. On Twitter, I'm at Smitey Pileg. And I'm at Mr. Matt Enlow. This episode was edited by Christopher Robert Gray. It was produced by Madeline Rosewatt, and our webmaster is Ewan Williams. The music you're listening to right now is provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist Shazar. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.